you're listening to the Skift Podcast. Our Megatrend series continues today as Skift Editor-in-Chief Sarah Kopit is joined by Skift Travel Technology Reporter Justin Dawes and Colin Nagy, a Skift contributor and host of the Skift Ideas Podcast. To tackle three of Skift's megatrends for 2024 that deal with artificial intelligence, the Ozempic era, and extreme wellness. They discuss how the business of travel is being transformed by these advancements. You can see all of Skift's megatrends for 2024 right now at skift.com slash megatrends. Enjoy the conversation. Each fall, as the new year approaches, the Skift editorial team gets together and talks about the big themes of the year to come. This is tens of thousands of hours of talking to you, people in the travel industry through the year, coming up with the stories, research reports, our events, etc., and then us connecting the dots across all of those headlines. Over a period of months, we boil them down, and eventually we get to this list that become our megatrends. Nature's wrath by way of climate change. The long-term opportunity that hotel groups have in appealing to the middle class. The role that travel can play in solving this crisis of loneliness that we're seeing. Corporate greed and junk fees. Is the travel industry ready for it? Has anybody thought about it? We are on a mission to help you make sense of the year to come. So here's our take on the travel sector, 2024 style. Okay, let's get started. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's Skift podcast about megatrends. This week, we are going to talk all about the future. We're going to get into the technological, pharmaceutical, and behavioral advances that are coming down the pike in 2024. So with me here today, we have Colin and Justin, and the three of us wrote kind of our most high-tech forward facing uh, megatrends. Collins was about extreme wellness. Justin's is about AI. And mine was about all things medication, Ozempic, and the very powerful weight loss drugs that are uh, sweeping, I don't know, I suppose, American life. But uh, really, it's, it's a worldwide thing that is just going to get bigger. So with that, let's, Justin, I, I do kind of want to start with you. AI has been, uh, you know, one of the biggest and most talked about segments of our kind of ever since ChatGPT made its uh, made its very booming presence known on the internet back in in November of 2022. So let's talk about what you see now that we've all had a year to play with it, to make fun images, to ask it to, you know do our favorite poem in the style of our favorite star, whatever it is. Um, <laughs> do you think, what do you think AI is going to do for travel in 2024? Yeah, well, I think uh, when it first came out, I think the, it got a lot of attention around these sort of like trip planners and everybody was coming out with these different sort of like, you know, AI concierge type of things. And I think now that we're yeah over a year later, I think still those are, a bit far away to get to the place where they're actually like usable and yeah, I was going to say, have you ever used one? (laughs) I do. I have a couple of times and I do, and I've tested them out. Like I've tested multiple of them out. And I mean, like I said, it's none of them have been so impressive to where I I'm thinking, Oh, I'm going to use this from now on instead of Google. 
Um, yeah. Usually I ended up going back to Google because of some issue or whatever. That will become a thing, just not yet. But yeah. I think while those those tools were coming out in the sort of in the background, people were creating tools to help with like back office um, tasks and to streamline like customer service um, and software yeah. development and that kind of thing. And I think that's what a lot of travel companies are implementing now. And yeah. actually, um, they're able to sort of redo a little bit of, of their operations using that at the moment. Yeah, I think the the AI story that most clicked with me was actually when Brian Chesky was talking about how Airbnb is using it for customer service. And yeah. he just told a story about how, you know, even though when you have a problem as a guest, you know, you'd like to think that your problem is so incredibly unique, but it's not like it's there, not, are only, yeah. there are only, you know, two, what, 200 problems that, that mm -hmm. guests like really have. And so when you have hundreds of thousands of guest experiences and, you know, a human being couldn't possibly go through and sort all of that information and find maybe what was the best outcome given you know right. all of the information that they have but ai can they can do it that it, uh, the computer can do it instantly and then give you know the top three most successful resolutions to the actual human being and that human right. being can then go through those so that for whatever reason really stuck with me and made sense of how ai could really be powerful and um and, right. and change the back end if not the front end so yeah definitely and like, if you think about like an individual hotel, if it's a popular hotel, they might get a hundred emails a day. So there are tools that can help them prioritize the emails that need they need to respond to like right now versus the right. ones that they can wait to respond to for a couple of days, um, generate drafts of a response first. So, I mean, if there are like two front desk people that can save them a lot of time, and then they can do things like interact with guests instead. And that's the point. Yeah, well, it's it's kind of like the the title to your megatrend, AI might be your next intern. It's right. it is almost really exactly that. It's that it's doing the first pass or it's mm -hmm. doing the like initial kind of sorting or, you know, you, yes, the the more experienced person or the the actual human, I guess in this example is the one right. doing the making the decisions, but right. You know, it's going to give you your best prep work, I yeah. suppose. And I think that's a forward. good way to look at it. Yeah. And so Colin, let's talk a little bit about yours too, and then we can kind of open, open the discussion up a bit. Um, so we were, yours was about extreme wellness. Why don't you just talk a little bit about like what that means to you, what, what you found in your megatrend and um, what you think 2024 is going to be for all things like high tech luxury. Yeah, I think for me, it's more of a shift that's happening in luxury from the sort of decadence of old, you know, these mm. buffets with, you know, shellfish and lobster and sort of ostentatious everything to um, a world in which is catering to someone that's trying to, that sees travel and sees their life as something that's a, a bit of an endurance event. And so this this fundamental shift, you know, I was kind of making the argument that today's sort of higher end guests are resembling these like formula one drivers, right? They're driving themselves really hard. 
They have a team around them. And their arsenal is like meditation, nootropics for mental sharpness, rigorous workouts, and like biohacks, right? And yeah. like this is happening in a consumer, you know, more consumer awareness of this. You know, there's people like Huberman and Peter Atia are democratizing this like data-driven wellness knowledge. And what we're starting to see in the in these early days of of the adoption into the luxury space is uh, experiences from the way a room is designed, all the way to sort of the accoutrement, whether that's you know, mobile mobility tools in the room, you know, IVs with glutathione and, and NAD, and a lot of very interesting um, thinking around sleep, performance, recovery, and nutrition. So it's a really, it's a big sea change in luxury, and it's much more about um, sort of performance and optimizing yourself. Yeah, I um in my job right before the one at Skift, I was editor-in-chief of a crypto publication and the crypto kids were very into this. Um, and, you know, and when I would go to um, events and conferences, it was so interesting to talk with them. Most of them were, were quite young in their twenties. So you, I don't know, I remember my twenties, Lord, I wasn't <laughs> optimizing anything, <laughs> you know, but they, they, it's just exactly what you said, what you were talking about, Colin. Like, it's very like, how do I eat every single ounce of productivity and optimization out of, you know, my body? Because that's really the product for me. You know, it's my brain, you know, that's, that's, that's what's making all these things happen. I think that the the balance here is finding this this middle ground, right? Because on one hand, what you've just outlined seems like a little joyless. You know, I can understand that for like some special forces soldier that like needs to be performing, you know, right. life or death situations. But sometimes it's almost becoming like a caricature of itself of this yeah. sort of like hyper um, hyper optimization. So I think what what you're finding is there while this is bleeding edge now and you see people like Equinox and what Harry Jameson's doing with raffles in uh, in London, I think you're going to start seeing um, this bleed into more thoughtful approaches to wellness, eking a little bit more towards this recovery, sleep, nutrition side in, in more modern ways, but may, perhaps not taking like the joy out of it, right? Some people yeah. still want to have a massage. They want to have a treatment with La Mer cream. They still want the kind of pampering. So I yeah. think that you're going to find as more of the industry is adopting it, that some of the sharpness and edge is taken off a little bit. But what I do think is there has been a sea change because, you yeah. know, a couple of years ago, the Four Seasons in Maui did a partnership with Next Health and they did IVs, sort of, you know, NAD stuff that was helping with jet lag. And if you would talk to a luxury hotelier in the past, it's like, oh, I'm going to put needles and a clinic in your relaxing place, they'd be like, you're delusional. But it was actually super, super well received because like the the logic with a lot of these high spenders is, hey, if I can knock off a couple days from my jet lag, I can enjoy more, I can be more present, so on and so forth. So there's weird stigmas that are kind of getting sanded away. And as I alluded to earlier, what I think we have to also acknowledge is like the role in the public consciousness that's coming from the Hubermans, the Atias in this world. Um, so that's that's also there is a 
corpus of education that's being beamed out to millions of people that's kind of changing mindsets in a meaningful way. Yeah, I, I, I can't help but think that maybe the dawn of metaspas also has something to do with that. Like we're all kind of, I don't know, there's just, especially, I mean, especially if you live in, I mean, I'm in New York and, you know, if you're in a big city, there's all sorts of treatments, I suppose, that you could, it's like, it's soft medicine, you know, you, you RNs and, and Chris Norton, who was from Equinox, who we talked with at our uh, Megatrends event, you know, he was, because I brought up the, the, I don't know if I'd want, you know, somebody to put a needle in my arm at a hotel. And he was like, I thought it was the room service waiter who's going to do it. Uh, <laughs> I, I wasn't a, sure. I don't a, know. A, no, these are registered nurses that are, these are part of a medical uh, yeah. company that's actually a third party company we work with. Okay. Um, it's incredibly popular. Yeah. And you could argue, you know, but, but there's people that are huge believers and enjoy the benefits of it. <laughs> like, okay, point, I, 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 you know, but, uh, you know, that they have a team of RNs and, and that kind of, you know, it's that slow progression for, for uh, acceptance, I suppose, with the traveling public. Yeah, it's, it's the, um, pardon the pun, it's the bleeding edge right now, but I think <laughs> it is going to get sanded down. And, um, and what's interesting as I talked to Norton in reporting this piece is, um, he said a lot of his guests that would stay with him at the Georges V in Paris, you know, like a palace, you know, traditional codes of luxury are the ones that are kind of like knocking on the door to see what he's up to here. So it's like the zeitgeist is, is shifting. Yeah. It's never going to completely shift away from the, um, the opulence, you know, and the sort of Russian or African dictator chic, you know, of, of some of the Parisian palaces. <laughs> But um, you know, it, it is it is telling. The other thing I wanted to quickly touch on is the notion of um, of nutrition, right? So what what Harry Jameson did with Pillar in London is, you know, at Raffles, which is a very kind of opulent, old school um, English hotel. You know, Pillar is just um, they worked with Jason Atherton, and they're doing very very interesting, um, you know, anti inflammatory, very uh, very healthy food. And, you know, that's part and parcel of this whole package. But I thought it was kind of interesting where people are meeting up after their workout or after their steam or after their collaborative kind of fitness session, and they're having like a healthy meal together. Whereas in the past, it might be like, hey, let's meet at the boozer, you know, so yeah, changing. Yeah, the thing the the, the thing that's most attractive to me as a traveler personally is the sleep aspect of it. Like I'm, I, I get terrible jet lag. Like it's awful. I would pay for that. Like I'm not, I'm not your typical luxury client, but like, if you could, if you could give me something to your point that would like help with that jet lag and the sleep, like sleep optimized rooms or, you know, what, whatever technology you want to throw at me, if I can sleep, like have at it. I think I'm here the, for it. it's a great point. And some airlines are doing this, right? Like, um, the meals are, Qantas did a bunch of research on this. Meals are being more healthy and and you know lighter, easier to digest, and also like meals that actually make it easier to fall asleep. And then um, you know what Chris has done with the rooms in New York, where it's like the perfect temperature, the blackout curtains, and some of these other things um, are really helpful. I'm curious. 
Colin, when you were talking with Chris or or anybody else when you were uh, reporting out your piece, did Ozempic and the weight loss drugs come up at all? Was that something that you came across? We didn't talk about it, but I just think that the the implications yeah. for these semaglutides, um, as you've deeply reported, it just changes the game, you know, for the way a lot of hotels would make their money, which is in in these yeah. decadent meals, vice, you know, like booze, the martini bars and stuff. So I think that there's some significant implications there. Well, that is it, that I, just what you just said about how maybe people are going to go have a juice instead of like meeting at the bar. That is actually like, I think that the weight portion of, you know, how the travel industry is going to deal with, with these medications and their effects that I think because it's their primary focus, at least right now, these medications to help people lose weight, I can, you know, you can kind of bend your mind around a lot of the different implications. But the thing that's most interesting to me is alcohol. That's the thing that I, I'm really interested to see if kind of it pans out. So for those of you who have not heard, listeners out there, they are studying um, these weight loss drugs. There's a bunch of different types right now. But anecdotally, just like, you know, Viagra and the little blue pill, they they found that one of the side effects of or an unintended consequence, I suppose, of these diabetes medications, A, was weight loss, but B, it was that it made people not want to drink. And like really, truly, like, and so they're now studying it for pure play alcoholism to help treat alcoholism. And there's other um, kind of more addictive you know, the whatever whatever that part of your brain is that um, you know has that addictive quality. These medications, they seem to be anecdotally successful there as well for many people. There was a great New York Magazine piece on this recently. Um, I think it was like, "What if Ozempic is actually just a good thing?" And I think what's yeah. what's very interesting to your point is. So much of the narrative in the press has been kind of lazy and also kind of um, yeah. pop culture. It's all yeah. talking about rich people, you know, like using this as a cheat code to to lose weight. But the the second and third order effects of these drugs, a on on behalf of some of the public health and you know people that are locked in metabolic syndrome or in these addictive sort of loops that doom loops, and b you know the nutrition knock-on effect. So, I mean, I know that Diageo and other big holding companies are actually like very concerned with this. You know, a lot of people are moving to investment in non-alk and stuff like that. Um, it's, it is seismic ripples throughout the economy and travel being probably one of the biggest ones. So I think, I think that your piece was bang on. You know, and it, the other interesting thing about it is it's almost like if you know somebody who's taking these medications or it's kind of like it's a very much a club right now, meaning like people who know about them know a lot about them. It's kind of like when you've been let in on this piece of information and people go really deep on them and they they know everything. And then there's another group of people out there who are like, yeah, I've not heard of that. Tell me about that. Which is, it's interesting to me as well that there's, it's, I, it's probably going to be rapidly changing as you see pieces. Um, being written all the time now that there is like a broader awareness even for people who aren't taking the medications. 
one thing that I was surprised about was that when I was talking to a lot of our folks who came even to our Megatrends event or people in the industry, and I would say, have you started thinking about this? And they, they said, no, they, ha- they, don't, they didn't know what I was talking about. Like they were unfamiliar with it. And I think a lot, and a lot of those people actually were not American, which makes sense to me because these drugs are just now being approved by government bodies and authorities in different countries. So they haven't been available. That's how, that's how new it all is. Justin, let me ask yeah. you, if you had to go, go out into the future, like more than just into 2024, if you had to think about AI and how technology companies, you're a technology reporter, mm-hmm. what do you think that technology companies are, like other than the generative um, AI that yeah. is so popular, what do you think like the second wave is going to be? for for these types of it's kind of like we were talking with wellness and health like kind of like the secondary knock-on effects what do you think that the secondary effects of ai are going to be in travel oh no (laughs) we might get some people mad at me if i say the wrong thing um i'm oh no that's great yeah (laughs) (laughs) please please do yeah it's i mean it's hard to say but i think one of the bigger things that they talked about at the very beginning is it could change the way that search happens. Like it Uh, could totally just reevaluate or it could just kind of throw a wrench in how Google operates, I think, and the way people search for things. Um, So it's sort of like a, a much more personalized experience. And that is because of AI, but I guess the idea is everything that you can build upon the AI as a base. I guess the question is there, what goes into the large, to the LLM then? Like, what is it retrieving? Like, is it the whole internet? Is it, it was interesting to me that the New York Times filed a lawsuit to get New York Times material out mm, gotcha. of Chachi, I think it was ChatGPT. Yeah. If that is successful, then none of the search results I suppose, if you want to mm-hmm. call it that. I don't, Google's probably like, no, not search results. Um, <laughs> but the results of the queries wouldn't have the benefit of any of the reporting of the New York Times. So, like, are we going to get to a place where, <laughs> I mean, this is how dystopian is this? You could get to a place where, like, every maybe political ideology or every Every different group or subset has its own large language model. So when you ask it, yeah. you're going to only ask, you know, you're only going to ask your preferred, you know, whatever will give you the answers you want. You're going to, and then it will just perpetuate the silos will continue and all of that stuff. There's two interesting things with this. Number one, you see the UAE has been like hard at work in building mm-hmm. their own sort of like Arabic language LLM. And it's mm-hmm. actually getting to a point of, sophistication and on its face it's very important to have a sort of like llm and and interface you know for one of the largest languages in the world but at the same time there are there are kind of like influence and political considerations that 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 come along with these right in terms of the governance what can be asked what cannot be asked you know and so um that's very interesting the second interesting thing that i see that's coming down the pipeline with a lot of um generative AI is 
companies are going to have their own sort of like siloed version of these things. Yeah. So I'm going to be able, um, if I'm a large, if I'm you know Expedia or a large kind of travel company, I'm going to I'm going to have my data all firewalled and be able to query historical consumer data, insights, things like that, and have it at my fingertips. So the type of thing that would take a, you know, research analyst um, a long time and a lot of like Python code to extract, I think that that's going to be a lot more at the fingertips. So the ability for, for some of these big companies to activate their own historical data and draw kind of correlations that they haven't in the past, I think is going to be one of the biggest B2B implications, particularly for travel. And I think that's coming down the pipeline pretty quickly. Yeah, there are companies that are kind of trying to start to do that now with like customer service kind of chatbots that access information about like a hotel's individual property, for example. But yeah, one of the biggest uh, barriers, I guess, between getting to a place where all of this is you just kind of at our fingertips is it's the data piece. So AI is, is lots and lots of data. That's basically like what it is um, in a nutshell. And um, a lot of the hospitality companies are at a point where their, their systems are based on like old technology where the data is um, not easily accessible and if the data is not e- easily accessible and you can't have personalization, you can't have all these things that people, everybody wants. So that's the biggest focus and the biggest like barrier that people are trying to get over at this moment. Um, getting onto the cloud, getting data in a, in like a accessible format and a usable yeah. way. Right. So let's talk a bit about the hype cycle around uh, generative AI. It's it's probably the single most uh, talked about topic, especially in tech, in the last year and a half. Do you, do you think it's sustainable? Like, are are we getting into backlash territory yet? It's very interesting because AI has been a thing for a long time. But the catalyst for all of this was that sort of consumer adoption, right? It was like the the chat GPT where everyone just had like lights going off in their head and thus a lot more a lot more comprehension of the abstract. And I think the difference between generative AI, chat GPT, and like NFT world and blockchain was generally speaking, unless you were like deep into crypto or or um, other things, you know, the blockchain is not really going to be touching your daily life in a very immediate way. And so I think what happened is, particularly with the press narrative, when everyone was kind of understanding like the really like hands-on feel of a consumer-facing application, it really accelerated like the discourse and the um, and the discussion ab- about this because it had that consumer-facing application. Whereas with other things where it's like, this will be the backbone of financial structures and blockchain and this and that, it's like much more abstract for the layperson. And I think that that's really the juice. And so if anything, I think that the generative AI discussion is really in its early innings because a lot of companies haven't done anything with it, right? A lot of companies are still using old technology. 
manual processes and they're kind of in receive mode as opposed to like execution mode. And I think that over the next couple of years, um, that's going to start accelerating pretty quickly. Yeah. It's almost like they're being penalized for decisions past the decisions of 10, 15, 20 years ago. It's making it more difficult to get that data in a usual, in a usable way. I mean, without having even kind of the comprehension that you know, chat GPT would be what it is today. And, and these long-term software contracts, right? Right. You know, like the hospitality at least is, is not always the most progressive in terms of thinking about their data, thinking about their CRM, you know, yeah. Salesforce is like a revolutionary concept in a lot of these places. And there's going to be a really big step change when it comes to um, what all this is going to offer people. But it, then it comes down to implementation, experimentation, stuff like that. And what about, what do you think about the luxury component to it? I mean, we always talk about how luxury is ultra personal and, you know, the human touch. So AI is distinctly inhuman, you know, it's like the opposite of that. How do you think that the two of those, those two things are going to blend together in the future or, or can they really? It's really funny. Um, my friend Noah Breyer, uh, who's a very interesting thinker on, on brands and generative AI, just gave a talk at a uh, GM conference. And in about a week, he just like built something using using open source gen AI um, that was basically just kind of like pulling guest profiles and showing how gen AI could create these moments of personalization and delight, you know, across mm -hmm. like lots of points of the of the experience cycle. And it was like he was showing them fire, you know, like <laughs> it, it was, you know, and and yes. and, I, and I think that um that was very telling to me. And I don't mean that in a condescending way, but the thing that he hacked up in a week, you know, just to show yeah. a demo um, in terms of the personalization and also just saying like, hey, we can train this on, I guess, previous meal orders or drink yeah. orders and, and then figure out how that then is delivered to the frontline staff and kind of supercharges their, their whole thing. So I think that, um, you know, the technology used to empower like thoughtful anticipatory service is going to continue to get better. That was always the promise, but it was like seldom delivered by the previous, um, previous platforms and services. Yeah. And so that's kind of where it's going. Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic, as they say. Uh, Colin Nagy, Justin Dawes, thank you so much for joining me today about all things Megatrends. We'll be back next week with our final installment where we'll talk about robotics, loneliness, and connection. Thanks, everybody. This has been the Skift Podcast. Thank you for listening.